I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. The 2024 schedule is set. If you thought last year's home stretch was difficult, uh, wait until you see 2024. Uh, Will analyzes the Gators' defense against some other SEC teams using the PFF college data. Uh, freshman All-SEC saw a couple Gators on that list. Uh, a few of those lists uh, that had the released All-SEC teams for the freshmen. And early signing day can't get here fast enough. We talk about a, a recent commit as well as what the Gators are trying to do down the stretch. We won't linger on that subject, Will. We won't linger on that subject too much because, uh, I don't know, both of us are just like, let's let's get there. Let's be done with this already. It, it, it hasn't been a fun stretch here between FSU up to early signing day here, has it? No, it's been relatively quiet, which isn't what we wanted during the transfer portal season. Um, the only thing that hasn't been quiet, obviously, is last week we had to talk about ETN um, going to the transfer portal. And look, I mean, Florida at this point has 29 scholarships available. Now that that factors in the uh, um, you know that factors in the commits as well that they have, but they only have 20 in the class right now, including Brian Johnson. We're going to talk about so. You know, 29 available. That's nine guys they can go get, whether that's transfer portal, whether that's recruits, some combination. You definitely want to fill that out. And that's even with guys like Khalil Jackson, who was who was given a scholarship last year. Some of the other guys who were given scholarships as well, who might be coming off those scholarships. So, look, they've got numbers. They need to fill it. We need to start seeing some stuff quickly. But, uh, you know, look, transfer portal hasn't finished yet. We'll sort of see where they end up. I think in many cases, we don't really know what it looks like in this transfer portal era where everybody's transferring in terms of um, in, in terms of do you need to get them early? Can you wait until the last minute? Are people waiting till, you know, essentially what amounts to signing day, the last day of the portal to, to commit those sorts of things. So, you know, like I, I'm okay waiting for a little while, but obviously if this fall transfer portal season ends and Florida hasn't filled up their roster, I think it'll be concerning to everybody given that um, it's pretty clear Billy Napier's going to have to win in 2024. Um, not all the games, but uh, given the schedule, he's got to win a few of them and that might be a tall, tall task for him, um, especially come November. Yeah. I, I have no idea what's going to happen, obviously, but we have seen instances where they move very slow and then things happen rapidly. So we saw that with that commitment stretch, over the summer we've seen that a couple times from napier so they seem to get things and, and and hold the information and sit on it and release it in some kind of fashion that they deem appropriate but man read the room a little guys come on <laughs> like, we're on the bright side we got we're a 400 million here we're dying on the bright something. side there's a 400 million dollar renovation of the swamp that got everybody riled up last week so look i, I think i think if you if you follow recruiting on a day to day basis, you will end up driving yourself crazy. Yeah. I think there are a few very key dates you need to look at, and August thirty first is like one of the first key dates, and we usually write about that at Read and Reaction. Talk about here in terms of where Florida's class is for this year. Florida's class was where it needed to be. Had a few decommits since then. Sounds like there still might be a couple more in the fold, um, more than usual, which is. You know, given all the noise in the system, maybe not necessarily unexpected, but more than usual. So, um, you know, how's Napier going to replace those guys? Obviously, early signing day is sort of that next checkpoint. And then the transfer portal has a checkpoint at the end of the fall. And I think, look, 
I'm not going to change anything by complaining about how things are going a week into the transfer process. Let's let it play out, get to the end, and then we'll tell you if it's not good enough, and we'll tell you what we think about the roster. It's one of the reasons we're going to talk about um, some analysis of Florida's defense, like you mentioned. One of the reasons I wanted to do that is I want to know where should Florida be adding players or where should we be looking for Florida to add players um, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, given where we were last year. And I think it's kind of interesting when you start looking at that sort of stuff. So we'll see who they bring in at the end. And, um, you know, obviously you can add a supplemental piece or two in the spring. But if we look at where the impact transfers came from last year, I think you're going to go back and look and say most of them came in the fall. And so that's what we're going to have to see for Billy Napier's. By the time this fall transfer portal season closes, they're going to need to have closed on some guys and added those guys to the roster. Well, I took a sneak preview at uh, your the data you're about to present with the Florida defense, it's good stuff, but let's first start with the 2024 schedule. We knew the teams, we just didn't have all the dates. So here is how it's going to set up. Will we open the season at home against Miami, Samford, the Bulldogs. They come to town on September 7th, on September 14th. Texas A&M is a home game at Mississippi State on September 21st, and then we have a bye week to wrap up September. UCF at home October 5th, at Tennessee October 12th, Kentucky at home October 19th, and then bye week again, Georgia November 2nd, at Texas November 2nd, versus LSU November 16th, Ole Miss at home November 23rd, and at Florida State to wrap up the season on November 30th. What a gauntlet down the stretch here, but let's break it up into stretches. Let's do, let's break it up into three stretches here. Let's start with September, Will. Yeah, August, September. I took Miami's August 31st, I guess, here. So you got Miami, Samford, and AM to kick off the season in the swamp at Mississippi State. First year head coach, Jeff Levy. The Bulldogs are rebuilding a bit, but Starkville has historically been a, a place where the Gators always have to scrap to get a, a victory will so that's not the easiest road game there in september yeah i think you know mississippi state has gone through some turmoil recently obviously the the tragedy of mike leach leach is passing you then have essentially what amounts to a transitory coach for a year now they brought in levy Mississippi State shouldn't be very good next year. They they just shouldn't. The first year of a head coach coming in, there's always a lot of transition, always a lot of transfers. They're learning new systems, both sides of the ball. Very rarely does a coach come in. I mean, look, Nick Saban came into Alabama seven and six. Kirby Smart comes into Georgia. They go eight and five. These are some of the best coaches we got out there, and they're not necessarily great. Mississippi State certainly doesn't have the talent that either of those teams had. So to expect for them to go any better than seven and five, I think, is is wishful thinking for the people up in Starkville. Um, this is a game Florida needs to get. I mean, the, there's a lot of games in the first season that Florida needs to get the Mississippi State game you can't sit there and go well we struggle on the road sometimes like no Mississippi State should be an inferior team to Florida next year you got to get that win you got to go out there and irrespective of it's if it's on the road you gotta go do that and, and that's just the reality these first four games like Texas A&M going through a coaching change Miami has the same has a lot of the same issues Florida does in terms of on-field coaching and and some some shortcomings in recruiting and you know Tyler Van Dyke transferring to Wisconsin and all sorts of different stuff going on so it's not as though Miami is this stable thing either UCF you know is a little bit more stable really but again shouldn't be a team that beats Florida. Florida needs to be 5-0 and coming out of the first five games. That's just sort of the way it is. If, if they want to have any semblance of a successful season, they got to be 5-0. and Four of those are home games. 
the the one road game against a team that they should be better than they have more talent they they have more time in the system they're going to be probably even older like you think about how youthful they are um if Graham Mertz is playing they got a lot more experience at quarterback like that's a game they got to win I think Florida's got to go five and oh start the season um to prepare for what's coming because we're going to get into that pretty soon well you jump you jumped the gun on that UCF game real quick but that first stretch there will the Miami game at home, Miami will be breaking in a new quarterback. You talked about AM breaking in a new system. So those are your two toughest games in that stretch. My, Miami, I think at home you have to hold serve against the Canes and that AM team. We don't fully know what that team's going to look like. You talk about a team that's going through a lot of changes on the transfer portal. A lot of those top guys that have come into AM are leaving AM. So we don't know where they're going to be playing next year. So this team's going to look a little different in Mike Elko's first season. Yeah. I mean, look, I, that is the opportunity, right? We looked at this past season and we we sort of looked and I think we thought Missouri would be kind of a, a, a toss up. And by the time it got to the Missouri game, it was like, Ooh, that's probably one floor is going to lose. Um, at the same time, I think we sort of thought Tennessee was going to be a toss up and Florida got that win. Um, so the, the teams go up and down and there are going to be some teams on here that we think are going to be better than they are. And there are probably going to be some teams that we think are going to be worse. That'll be, that'll end up playing better throughout the year. But um, the the reality is, is this, the schedule is backloaded. Those first four are critical and they're critical, not just, you know, Miami's a name, but Sagarin rating, they were 37th this year, 24th in FPI. Sanford obviously is an FBS. Texas A&M was actually 15th by Sagarin, 14th by FPI. So from an analytics perspective, a better team than uh, than than any of the other ones in that opening stretch. And the Mississippi State was 67th for Sagarin and 58th for FPI. So, you know. This is an opportunity. If Florida's going to be a top 25 team in that general range, you got to get these wins. That's just the reality. So after the bye week at the end of September, you host UCF on October 5th at Tennessee on October 12th, and Kentucky comes into the swamp on October 19th. Critical game there with the Wildcats. Well, they're just a good team now. They're okay. I mean, they're, they're not the best team, obviously, right? They're kind of that above average team in the SEC every year. But they're tough. They're not. They're, they're not your daddy's Kentucky, right? They they've really stepped their game up. We've had three straight losses to them now. This is a game they have to get on October nineteenth. But you got UCF coming to town. The Knights are are not going to be a pushover road game at Tennessee. Definitely picks up a little bit in this stretch here. But none of them are out of the question. Will none of these games are out of the question for the Skaters team. I mean, none of them are out of the question except, well, none of them would have been out of the question two or three years ago. I think now I look at it and go, why do I expect them to win these games <laughs> when when they've just sort of been putrid on the road in the Billy Napier era? And Kentucky has really sort of, you know, announced itself as a superior team over the last four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's just sort of the reality of things. And Kentucky has Brock Vandegrift coming in now as a transfer, five-star quarterback committed to Georgia, fell behind Carson Beck. Beck decided to stay around another year. Vandegrift transfers to Kentucky through the portal. So they've got talent now at quarterback that, you know, they, they've sort of gone with, with Will Levis and then Devin Leary. Vandegrift's a different level of talent. Now he doesn't have the experience. And so maybe that's a problem and maybe he's not as good as, as what some people think, but um, Carson Beck was one of the better quarterbacks in the country this year. And so if Vandegrift has any of that, of that, you know, if he just got beat out by a guy who's slightly better, and and he's just as talented as Carson Beck, then Kentucky's going to be really, really good. So, um, look, I, I think Kentucky and Tennessee 
Heupel seems to get more out of his offense than other people do. It's one of the things I learned when I was looking through the offense on PFF stats. Um, so I don't think any of them are going to be pushovers. Obviously, um, though, these are ones that, again, it, you know, I sort of said Florida needs to be needs to be five and zero after the first five. That would be after the UCF game. But the whole reason then is if you drop one of these Tennessee and Kentucky, you're still six and one heading into the stretch you're about to talk about. It's funny you talk about quarterback play with Kentucky because they've beaten us three straight. I would almost say in spite of the quarterback play at, at Kentucky, they they have not had great quarterback play. They still have whooped us the last three years. So. If they do get good quarterback play up in Lexington, that's going to change some things. So overall, Will, this first seven, what what are we looking at here? This is something that you really have to come out of this. Much like this year, I see it very similarly to the 2023 schedule. You really have to come out of this stretch at least five and two if you're going to sniff a bowl game, right? I mean, I... <laughs> I think you gotta come out of it six and one. Six and one. If you, if you want to lock it up, you probably safely lock it up. We know you could lose five in a row. We already know that. <laughs> we have definitely seen that. So, I mean, we'll we'll get to the numbers in a second, but um, but the teams you're about to list are all teams that were sniffing around the playoff this year. So, uh, it, it I don't think Florida's gonna be sniffing around a playoff next year. Now, look, can you catch one of the teams? Um, napping can you catch one of them you know maybe since it's a home game you're able to catch one um you know are they replacing players as well sure um sure so i mean it's not as though some of the teams on the schedule might not take a step back but you got to front load this and the reality is i mean are we are we excited about seven and five are we excited i mean maybe about eight and four but even then you're talking about eight and four in year three i'm not really all excited about it so i did something i went back and i looked and um you know there's a people talk about year two being the time where programs take a leap. And obviously Florida didn't do that this year. Um, but then the supposition and the thing that I sort of remembered in my mind was coaches take a step back in year three and you lose, you know, um, you lose more games in year three, typically because your transition class is sort of taken over. That's at least the, the narrative. But I went back and looked at every SEC championship coach since 1992 Um and it turns out that that's not true, that the guys who win SEC championships win 80% of their games in year two and 79% of their games in year three. And in fact, four of them won national championships and five of them won SEC championships in that third year. So I look ahead and I go eight or nine wins is kind of what you're going to have to do to prove to me, Billy Napier, that you're on the right trajectory. So you better be six and one. Because if you're six and one and you pick off a couple of these last two, eight and four, okay. Like I think we'll sit there and say that's that's a difficult schedule. But here's the deal. I mean, you're the University of Florida. You should in year three have a program that is capable of competing with the top teams in the country. And if you don't, that's on you. And so um, you know, going through this and saying, ah, oh, well, five and seven, six and six is good enough. I don't know. I don't think that's gonna be good enough. Back. Back into the schedule here, Murderers Row, Georgia, November 2nd, Jax at Texas, who's in the playoffs this year, LSU, solid team this year. If it was 12-team playoffs, Georgia's in the playoff. Texas would have been in the playoff. LSU probably in the playoff, pushing the edge of the playoff. Ole Miss, same, pushing the edge of the playoff. So let's call They would have left out Florida State. Yeah, Florida State gets left out, though, because <laughs> – 13th. You gotta have that quarterback. Gotta have that. Quarterback. Gotta have Liberty in. Liberty in instead of Florida State. <laughs> Liberty's got their quarterback. Will they just kept they winning do. too? Liberty was go. also undefeated. That's important to consider. Uh, That's what they tell record. me. <laughs> uh, at Florida State and at Texas are the, are the two road games in that stretch. So so uh, obviously, 
you could stack this five game stretch up against anybody in the country. No, nobody in the country is going to play a five game stretch this tough. Uh, brutal, 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 brutal. It also makes me think, well, when you talk about Mertz coming back, you'd say, okay, well, if things aren't going great, maybe you start Lagway down the stretch. And I'd like to see Lagway start at some point next season personally. But, man, this is that's the stretch you're going to throw him in on. Georgia, Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and Florida State. Makes me think Lagway needs to be starting earlier if he's going to have a chance to start his freshman year. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Lagway start in game one, but that's uh, just because that's, I'd like that too. Yeah, you know, but that also means he's won the job, right? And yeah. so, so that'd be great if we saw him starting day one. Um, look, I mean, from a Sagarin perspective, Georgia's fourth, Texas is fifth, LSU's ninth, Ole Miss is fourteenth, Florida State's twelfth. Now, obviously, Florida State and LSU are replacing their quarterbacks, but Georgia's not, Texas isn't, and Ole Miss isn't, right? And again, if you look at FBI, Georgia's sixth, Texas seventh, LSU ninth, Ole Miss 15th, Florida State 11th. Florida has seven opponents in the top 20 of both the final Sagarin ratings and the FBI ratings. So seven of the 12 are in the top 20. So what's the goal in year three for Billy Napier? Be a top 25 team? If you're a top 25 team, you're going to have to be competitive with those guys. And, And look... I get it. It's a tough schedule, but I'm not going to start evaluating margin of victory in year three for Billy Napier. At some point, you got to win some games. And and that's the thing is you have an opportunity here, especially in a 12-team playoff. This is the thing. People are looking at this and they're saying, oh, my God, this is so, so terrible for Florida. But if you start the season six and one and you find a way to end up nine and three with this schedule, I think it's hard to keep you out of a playoff. I mean, especially if the games are close and if they're all competitive and you didn't get blown off the field by anybody. Like, there's an opportunity here because of the quality of the schedule. Everybody knows it going in. Everybody knows Florida's got a brutal schedule. And if Florida turns this into a lot of wins, they're going to have an opportunity to make it into the playoffs. So, again, I sort of look at and I say, um, if Florida struggles early, let's say they're like two and three after five games, yeah, you're going to have to make the switch to lagway. You're going to have to see what you have. You're sort of playing for 2025. But if you get out of that opening stretch, five and two, six and one, you have an opportunity to go in and win some of these games. And and the backloaded nature of the schedule ends up being an advantage because while everyone else, while, while the Big Ten is playing, you know, Rutgers and Maryland, you're playing Georgia, Texas, LSU, Old Miss and Florida State. And an SEC championship game if you're if you're good enough to get into that spot too, so yeah you're going to be beat up. So it's a good thing you got a month until the playoff starts. Well, maybe you won't have a month till the playoff starts, <laughs> so that'll be a disadvantage. But uh, look, there's an opportunity here as well as the there's an opportunity for things to go really really badly, and there's an opportunity for things to go really really well. It's on Napier to make it go really, really well. That's just the reality. Yeah, I think I'll hold on making uh, hotel reservations the first weekend December up in Atlanta. I'll hold off on that for now. Um, You're so but, negative all but, the time. I, just, man, I, yeah, I'm I don't you. understand, man. I'm I'm positive all the time. I get it. Like you know, why are you always so negative? It's just we so talk terrible. about we're talking about the the offense and the quarterbacks and everything. It's it's going to be the defense stuff. The deep Lagway or Mertz, whoever's quarterback can be scoring fifty one. We might be giving up fifty two. So we got to figure that out in the offseason as well here. But again, just I'll negative tell you what, all the time. The first seven games, you should be. Very competitive, and if you're going to have a shot at having a winning season, you got to win five or six of those first seven. It has to happen because that stretch, that five-game stretch down the back end, if I gave most fans two of those five right now, they'd take it. 
the honest ones would take it two out of five down that stretch. Yeah, that's a, that's a rough stretch to finish. So seven, eight wins on, on the high end there on, on the surface looking at, of course, we don't know what rosters are because the NCAA just ruled that you can get a waiver now for your second transfer. So I think I, I forget who tweeted it. If I would, I would, I would credit them, but they said so something it, along so the lines of they're going to have a quarterback start for team a in the first half and team B in the second half. That's how crazy the transfer portal is getting right now. So is JT Daniels going to be our backup quarterback? He's next medically year? retired. So I know he's see. not, okay. but he could be. That's the thing. <laughs> Dreams could come true. You never know. Jeez. All right. Well, tough schedule, but I, I love it personally. I, I want to see Florida play the best. I, I think I saw Aiden Mizell tweet out that this is why you come to Florida. You play come to Florida or something along those lines. This is why you come to Florida, play in the SEC, play these tough schedules. I love seeing the Gators going up against the best, and we're certainly going to get an opportunity to see that in 2024. Uh, Will, let's move on here. Let's talk about the PFF data you put together. We're going to walk people through some charts. I know you got an article coming out as well on this, so take it away. Yeah, so first off, it's Pro Football Focus. That's where the data is coming from. Uh, that is a subscription service, so if you want to support us, go over to patreon.com slash readreaction, throw a couple bucks our way. That helps us get these sorts of subscriptions. Um, or just like and subscribe on the video. That's free. That helps us here. Um, you know, Please just help us out. A little commercial for us. But uh, look, so what they do is they take every play from every player out on the field, and they give them a rating between minus two to plus two. Um, they're looking at the all-22 film, and they're trying to say, did the player do what he was supposed to do on each play? And they rate it from negative two to plus two, and then they convert that over to a zero to 100 scale. Um, and they do that individual game-wise, and then they do that for the overall season. So what that does is you get a number somewhere between zero and 100, and average is typically around 68 to 70 for each of the different positions. So what that means is, is all right, I can look at the average cornerback play for Florida and I can look at the average cornerback play for Alabama. And I can say, was Alabama's corner play way better than Florida's or where does Florida fall below the average? And so that's sort of the question is, all right, well, Florida's defense was bad last year, but are there places where they were good enough and they should be adding in certain places? Or are there places where they were outstanding and it just doesn't matter that you're outstanding in that particular area? And so that's sort of what we're looking at here when we look at this. So here, here's a chart. You can look. It's a spider chart. So it's got five different five different uh, um, spokes coming off into the web. And what you can see is the gray um, average box is for each of the different positions. So edge rusher, interior lineman, linebackers, safety, and corner. And Florida is the orange. And so what you see initially is, is that Florida's linebacker play was really bad compared to the average. Interestingly, though, Alabama's linebacker play was only average. But where Alabama really kicked butt is Alabama had really good safety play and really good corner play. And Florida's was below average in both of those spots. Defensive line play, Florida was actually above average. Human Milan, though not a star, was decent at that spot. Tyreek Sapp, again, while not a star, decent at that spot. And then Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks were pretty much right on the average for interior linemen. Interestingly, Alabama sort of right on the average there as well. So what this sort of suggests to me, is edge rusher corner and safety obviously for Alabama this year are really important. And so that's one of the things I think is interesting is saying, okay, well, is it more important that Florida was deficient at linebacker or is it more important that Alabama was way elite at safety and corner? And you can start looking at other defenses, other programs to see, um, you know, whether that's a consistent team across the way, but it becomes pretty obvious where Alabama's strength is. 
And you can start looking at the, these sorts of numbers. The really cool thing, and we'll be doing this over at the Patreon. That's why I mentioned it earlier. We'll sort of throw up a few of these charts every once in a while over on Patreon and say, hey, look, this is Florida's offense versus Kentucky's defense. Here's why they struggled. Or here's Florida's defense versus Kentucky's offense. Here's why they struggled. I think you could start to see some see some trends when you do that sort of stuff and just gives you an idea of why, why a team might have been good or a team might have been bad. What you see in this chart is really – Florida substandard play at corner, substandard at safety, and really substandard at linebacker. Scooby Williams was ranked like in the 40s for his overall rating when it came to play at linebacker this year. Really, really, really struggled in coverage, and that dragged that way down. And so, you know, I didn't think he was that bad, but apparently even in some of the – and I'll have to go back and look at it, but at least for PFF early in the year when I thought he was playing pretty decently, um, he really wasn't. Shamar James was sort of holding up that position. And so, look, Florida needs to add in the linebacker. So I think we've been looking at defensive line, specifically defensive tackle, and saying this is a place where Florida needs help, need push up the middle. I've said it 45 times this offseason already that that's where Florida needs push. I still think having a difference maker there would make a big difference for the defense. But I, I think I'm sort of leaning towards linebacker being a spot where I'd really like to see them supplement in the transfer portal because just getting to average – should make the defense way, way, way better. Having a, having something that's that big of a weakness just exposes everybody else. And again, if you're looking at safety, Miguel Mitchell announced that he was transferring out today. Um, Jason Marshall, we haven't gotten everything out of him. Devin Moore, interestingly, is the best ranked corner for Florida. He was up in the 75 range, but he struggled to stay on the field. So just keeping him healthy might actually raise that for Florida. So look, I, I think... There's a lot of different places we should be looking for, but if we look for Billy Napier and Austin Armstrong and what they're doing on defense, um, you know, in the transfer portal, linebacker would be a place that I would expect them to hit. And perhaps not surprisingly, if you look at the 2024 class, that is a place where they have really focused at the linebacker position with uh, with Miles Graham, Darius Hayes, and Aaron Childs, all top 100 prospects in the 24/7 Sports Composite. All three of those guys, linebackers, reinforcements are coming. The question is going to be, can those reinforcements combined with Scooby having a full year under his belt as a starter, Shamar James coming back healthy, can those guys combine to not necessarily give Florida elite play at that position? Can they just give them average play? Because it becomes pretty clear that that was the weak spot for Florida in 2023. And so if they can just shore that up to average, I think what we're going to find is a defense that ends up performing much closer to the average in NCAA as opposed to, as opposed to being as bad as they were this year. And in fact, you can really see that don't have we didn't flash it up there but i've got something in the article that's coming a little bit later that's going to have lsu and lsu again had the same thing but they had weak they had a huge weakness at corner and were average pretty much everywhere else here you can see it now nick's flashing it up here on the screen you can see it so they've got weakness a huge weakness at corner a little bit of a weakness at safety and then they're good at linebacker actually excellent at interior lineman and then just basically average at edge rusher so lsu Average in three different spots, slightly below average in another one, and then way below average at corner, and their defense is getting torched. And I think what you see when you look at this PFF data is it suggests that when you've got one major deficiency on defense, your defense just can't ever get a stop. And it doesn't matter where the deficiency is just that you have it. So LSU, I suspect this year, is going to focus very heavily at the cornerback spot. Florida, I think, conversely, is going to focus very heavily at the linebacker spot or should focus heavily on the linebacker spot because just shoring that up is going to ensure that you don't have a repeat of 2022 and 2023. Well, 
Will, I, I we got all offseason to play with it, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun with this PFF data, but that's a good first look at really putting the numbers together to, to show where Florida needs to improve on the defense. Did any of that surprise you? I know you mentioned Scooby Williams. That was somewhat early in the season. I know as the season went on, you were more critical, but early in the season, you were pretty happy with his play. Did the numbers tell a different story than you expected overall? So I mean, for Scooby, I, I hadn't gone back and looked at the PFF numbers on an, on a game by game basis. I'll tell you, the guys who surprised me were Sap and Cameron Jackson were b- above average. Princely Eubin Melan was at seventy six. That was above average. Jordan Castell was at seventy five point seven. So he just got named, and we'll talk about it. Just got named to the freshman All American team. He deserved it based on these PFF numbers. I think there were some times, especially late in the year, where he missed some tackles, but on a per play basis. And this was really the story of the Florida defense this year. Is and this is maybe a place where you'd say that Austin Armstrong has some encouraging things coming. Is that uh, that on a per play basis, Florida's defense was better this year than last year. The problem is they gave up a boatload of explosives. So if they can solve the explosive problem, then the success rate stuff is going to come with it. And what this sort of suggests, I think, is that for the most part, Jordan Castell and Cam Jackson and Tyreek Sapp did a very nice job, but there were times where they did a really bad job and those really bad jobs killed the Gators. And, you know, you only get a minus two on those plays. So, um, Again, on a per-play basis, I think they did pretty well. I think there's some some opportunities for improvement, obviously. On the offensive side of the ball, the thing that actually surprised me the most is that Trey Wilson was the highest-ranked Gator overall for the entire team. Um, he was at 81.6. I wouldn't have expected that. I would have expected him to be up there, but I wouldn't have expected him to be at 82. Um, in fact, ahead of Ricky Pearsall, who's at 76.9. And then Jake Slaughter, the center, who came in, was at 76. Aguacan, um was at 60.4. So, you know, we sort of thought after that Utah game that Florida's offensive line got manhandled. Hey, Egwikin's going to come back. Things are going to get better, more solidified. The reality is, is that, I mean, and obviously he was injured he was a lot hurt. while he was yeah, in there. He was playing hurt. Right. At the same time, he, he when he was in there, he wasn't very good on a per-play basis. And so an interesting uh, – and an interesting evaluation that Jake Slaughter seemed to be the best offensive lineman that Florida had. Mazuka and Leonard were okay. Barber was sort of okay. And then obviously Damian George was the one who rated the lowest. Not necessarily a surprise there on the offensive line. Well, we got all offseason to dig into that even deeper. But let's move on here to the freshman All-SEC team. I know this is something you've compiled data on in the past, Will. And that's something you've stressed as a as a sign of the talent going in the right direction overall. And we stressed that this team was young all season long, and we saw some payoff with it here with four selections to the freshman All-SEC team. Trey Wilson, who you just mentioned, TJ Searcy, Kelby Collins, and Jordan Castell all selected to the uh, first team All-SEC for a freshman. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a big deal. For that to happen, especially when you consider that, you know, Searcy's essentially a jack. Kelby Collins is a defensive end. Human Milan's leaving. These guys are going to have to step up and play a bigger role in, in 2024. And freshman All-SEC players typically turn into All-SEC players overall, right? And I think we all anticipate that happening for Trey Wilson. I think in the first half of the year, I would have anticipated that happening for Jordan Castell. I think the second half soured me a little bit, but the PFS sort of bringing me back on that one a little bit. And then Searcy and Collins, you know, Searcy was 60 or was 64.4. So below average for a defensive end overall for FBS. 
but remember true freshman, right? And then Kelby Collins, 68.7. So really right at average in terms of his overall play again, as a true freshman. So um, yeah, I think we should be excited about that, that these guys, if they're able to turn that corner. Now, the issue is they're going to need all four of them, right? Cause last year we had Trevor Etienne and we had Shamar James who were both freshmen, all sec Etienne played pretty well. And Shamar James played pretty well till he went down. But none of those guys were playing at a level where you're like, hey, this is like all American type stuff that we're getting from these guys. Now, you might make the argument that ETN didn't get there because he didn't give the ball enough. Um, but irrespective, you weren't getting all American level play from those guys. Um, they're going to need that from these four. These four are going to have to be a big chunk of what happens. Now, the good news is three of them are on defense. Right. So you think about Florida's defense needing to improve. Can they take a step up? We're probably going to need two linebackers from the 2024 class to come in and hit that freshman all sec level next year in order to see a jump in defense. But this gives me some hope, right? I mean, you sit here and you look at it, you go, these guys are going to transform Florida's Florida's team. And look, Trey Wilson transformed it this year a little bit, and he's going to obviously have to step up and play a bigger role, at least downfield than he did last year. So look, I, I think it's a great sign for Florida to have four guys on the all sec team. It, on the freshman All-SEC team, if all four can convert to All-SEC players, typically you need about six to as the minimum to win the SEC, All-SEC players. So if you've got four from this class, can you add two from the class before? Can you add two from the class forward? And now you're talking about a team that's able to compete for an SEC championship. But obviously a lot, a lot has to go right, right? All four of these guys have to stay healthy. All four of them have to take a leap. And then you got to supplement them with two or three guys on either side in either class in order to get there. It's a lot to ask, but it does suggest there's a path. The question just is how narrow is that path for, for Billy Napier, given the schedule that we already went over? I thought you said transform and not transfer from. So that's that's good that you said transform. Uh, look, this is a great sign. Because if you are investing in the youth, at least you're seeing something and other people are seeing it too. You're not going crazy. There's actually some talent out there. And hey, Kit, Castell's a great example. When you talk about youth being a problem once in a while, like Castell definitely had his moments this year where he was probably he probably would want some moments back on the field this year. But you can see the raw ability on that guy and the talent out there. Uh, and for a true freshman in that spot to be thrown out there, there's a lot of trust coming from the coach because you're the last line of defense. And there was a few times where it did cost Florida, but I, overall you, you saw the potential from, from the kid. And I think that he's definitely a guy that could become a cornerstone for this defense down the stretch. I think Kelby Collins was a, a no brainer. I think that was the guy coming in that you expected a lot from this season. And seriously, it was good to see him live up to some potential this year. And Wilson, of course, was the breakout star of the 2023 season. He's the biggest uh, hope going into next season. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think um, Florida needs some sacks. And where they get those sacks from is is an open question, but they need some sacks. And so if Collins and Searcy and Jamari Lyons, who's a red shirt freshman who started to get some time at the end, obviously Chris McClellan's no longer there. Um, and then we're going to talk about one of the commits coming in who's a JUCO guy who's probably going to have to contribute as well. I think certainly you're starting to see the pieces fall in place for a defense that's going to be okay. Not a defense that's going to be elite, but a defense that's going to be okay. If the defense is going to be elite, then guys like Sharif Denson, Jakeem Jackson, Devin Moore – 
And then some of the freshmen are going to have to perform at a high, high, high level. And look, that just doesn't happen very often. That was one of the things that we warned in the preseason magazine about the three wide receivers is to think that Mizell, Gene, and Wilson were going to be just rock stars out there was wishful thinking for a recruiting class. Typically, a, a wide receiver catches about 35 balls. So Trey Wilson far, far exceeded what the typical freshman does. And we should be grateful that, that that's the kind of season we got. At the same time, that doesn't say anything about Mizell or Gene or their abilities other than maybe they're not true difference makers like Trey Wilson. But we'll see because they're different, they're different players, right? But what it does suggest is that you can't rely on this 2024 class to perform in 2024 exclusively, right? Maybe you get a guy like Trey Wilson. Maybe you get a guy like Jordan Castell who comes in and starts. But you don't want to build your team that way. You want to have those guys sort of supplemental, have these guys who were the four all-SEC freshmen step in, a guy like Shamar James come back, and then all the other guys that you've sort of had on there, Desmond Watson and Cam Jackson and Caleb Banks and Jason Marshall take a step up. And like I said, this sort of goes back to the PFF thing again, is if you can get average play from a bunch of different spots and then elite play from one, all of a sudden your defense is going to vault in the top 20 or the top 30. But you got to get elite play from somewhere, and these guys sort of give you the hope that maybe Florida will be able to get that on the defensive line. Well, definitely one positive to take out of a pretty rough 2023 season. Uh, Let's go in to the recruiting scene here, Will. Brian Taylor, defensive lineman, 6'6", 270 pounds, Juco player out of Blinn College in Texas. Uh, This was a guy who had offers from – Georgia, Tennessee, Miami, plenty of other SEC schools, uh, solid prospect, very explosive off the edge, ends up committing to Florida. And really, it's uh, it's one of the only pieces of action there's been so far this offseason outside of the hire. Will Harris still waiting on a defensive line coach to be named. But Will Harris, of course, coming in with the secondary, uh, got some work to do in the backfield, defensive backfield. But first, let's talk about Brian Taylor, Will. Yeah, I mean, so he's the 10th ranked overall JUCO player in the country. Um, They have him ranked as a four-star for the 24-7 sports composite, 89.3. So sort of in that 300 to 400 range, though obviously downgraded because you've only got a couple of years of eligibility versus the full four when you bring in somebody from high school. But 6'6", 270 on the defensive line, clearly a place that Florida needed guys, especially with Chris McClellan um, transferring out. So now you bring in a guy like Taylor, similar levels of eligibility left as McClellan, sort of slap him right into that spot. And if you get more out of uh, more out of Taylor than you did out of McClellan last year, then you consider that a win overall, right? Because it's essentially a one-for-one swap from a scholarship perspective from McClellan for Taylor, same, levels, same level of eligibility. Like you said, Auburn wanted him. Georgia wanted him. Um, Tennessee wanted him. So it's not like this is somebody where Florida's plucking him away from Mississippi State and and Vanderbilt. I mean, this is a this is a high level prospect coming in. They need him to perform right away. I think based on the profile, you're probably looking at a guy who's going to be, um, you know. He's not a developmental prospect. He's a guy who's played for a couple of years, but he's also, you know, at Blinn College, um, you know, 24-7 has him 19 tackles, two tackles for loss and a half a sack last year, seven and a half tackles for loss and one and a half sacks in 2022. Um, if you add that to Florida's roster, that's a nice piece. That's not a difference maker. So that'll be the question is, you know, is he going to be able to take a step forward 
while also taking a step up in competition from Blinn College to to the SEC. And, uh, you know, certainly if he can step in and provide approximately what they got from Chris McClellan, maybe a little bit more, then you've got a nice depth piece. If he can sort of take that next step forward, put up three or four sacks, nine or ten tackles for loss, then all of a sudden you're getting a guy who maybe isn't a difference maker but is um, a very, very solid depth piece behind Caleb Banks and Cam Jackson. Yeah, with that size, you could slide him around the line too, uh, different downs. But he uh, he's very explosive on tape from what you see for a guy that big. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if he comes in. Yeah, really, that's my expectation, Will, is that he's going to come in and be uh, at least – you, you need bodies on the defensive line. You need them badly. Well, so he's at least going to be another body there that, that's going to get some playing time. He definitely saw playing time yeah. <laughs> when they when they said come to Florida. He's like, tell me why I should come to Florida. They're like playing time. Two straight yeah. years of getting out there for a lot of snaps <laughs> in the SEC. You're going to be able to show your film. And honestly, I think in many ways that's the sales pitch that Florida should have in the transfer portal to a lot of these guys. Is you know when you got a defense that ranks 124th overall, um, there's not any sacred cows. There's no spot that's safe. You, you and, want to coach uh, while you're at it? <laughs> uh under a week here towards signing day, early signing day, December 20th, uh, DJ Lagway looks solid. LJ McRae posting pictures with the Florida State coaching staff at home had some people nervous, but kind of sent some tweets out. I, I did like the uh, graphic, the the I, I'm planning to sign with Florida graphic. I'm not sure how much any of that means on X, but those were floating around. And there have been some notable ones that have not posted it, but McRae uh, was one of those guys that were holding out did post it so he seems a little solid he seems pretty solid i would say the ones that the the two that most people are worried about here are xavier filsome potentially flipping to texas of course he is a texas native and then amaris williams you've heard ohio state you've heard auburn i would almost say in my mind is williams gone in your head is this even a guy that's he's technically still committed will but everything you're hearing there just seems so much momentum to him flipping somewhere yeah, he's been rumored to be gone for a while. I think, you know, when they put out all those things, I don't believe he's been one of the ones who has retweeted the, uh, you know, one week till signing day. Again, how much does that really matter? Not that it means a thing. <laughs> uh, and, and again, I, I think we talk about recruiting all the time. It's not about one player. It's about stacking guys at different positions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, look, LJ McRae, six foot six, two sixty. You got a Morris Williams who's six foot three, two seventy. Um, you know, the reality is those are the only two guys in the top 100 who are defensive linemen. And then you got the linebackers, right? You got Graham Hayes and, uh, and Childs there as, as linebackers, but those are the only two defensive linemen they got in the class who are in the top 100 players. You can't, you can't lose top 100 players when you're struggling the way Napier is. And so Williams is important, but McCray's critical. McCray just got upgraded to a consensus five-star on the 24-7 composite. That gives Florida three five-stars. So last year, the complaint with Florida's class that I had was they didn't have elite talent. This year, they've got elite talent. DJ Lagway, Phil Simi, and McCray are elite talent. Now, if Phil Simi flips to Texas – all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there going, okay, well, we got two, but that means you got to fill out everything else. And so, look, I'm I'm hopeful you got 20 commits right now in this class. Um, Florida probably needs to finish, I would think, at like 25 or 26, given, uh, <laughs> given sort of the numbers situation. I mean, they only signed 19 two years ago, signed 20 last year. So just from a numbers perspective, they really need to need to bring in a full class here. But beyond it being a full class, the elite guys. So, you know, if you get a guy like, um, you know, 
Josiah Davis, who's a safety ranked 528th overall. Good player, probably going to be a really good good Gator. But if he flips, I wouldn't be all that, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting there going, oh, like I'm I'm up in arms about it. Williams is right at that cusp of guys where you really start to see the likelihood of NFL success start to go down. Um, but still, top 100 players are top 100 players. You want to hold on to them as best you can. I'm not counting on it, but if he stays, then it'll be a big win for Napier, obviously. For all the internet pessimism, we still have a top five class at the moment. Uh, Got to see what we can hold on to. But this is the way I look at it, Will. In past years, when Florida was not recruiting at a high level, we were constantly worried about, oh, can we flip this guy or can we flip that guy from Georgia? Can we flip this guy from Ohio State? It's kind of like the Jeremiah Smith thing all year, right? You're constantly talking about potentially flipping a guy that you're probably never going to flip. It's nice to be the team that has a class in place that other big schools are interested in and they're coming trying to take your guys from you. So Billy Napier and his and his staff, they are playing defense at this point. And that's really what you should be doing at signing day is you have the class that you need to play defense with and, and you don't have to be the, the team necessarily that is on the full court press for three guys to flip at the last moment to have a class that's worth anything. Well, so – I agree with you, but the top five class isn't going to be top five if Phil Simi and and others flip, right? And that's sort of the that's sort of the rub. Um, though it is a numbers game at this point. I mean, from the standpoint of class rankings, Alabama just recently jumped up above Florida, mainly because they had a guy from the twenty twenty five class who was a five star reclassify for twenty twenty four. Florida State though has a significantly lower average player rating. They just got twenty three commits, and Florida has more five stars in their class too. So Florida fills out their class with 25, 26 guys, and they do it with four-star guys ranked in the 250 to 300 range. And again, those guys are critical because they're depth, even if they're not necessarily the guys who are like major headliners. Florida's going to end up fourth overall in the country. And that's a huge jump for Napier from year one to year two now into his third recruiting class. And so, look, I think that's important. Now, his year one recruiting class is sort of falling apart with the transfer portal. We'll see what happens to the year two class as as things progress this this offseason and going into next season um certainly gonna need to show it on the field with some of this stuff but look you get a guy on campus people talk about flips all the time and transfers all the time there's a lot of transfers going on but still if you look at the core of even the programs that have had a lot of guys transfer the core of those programs are guys they've signed out of high school and so even if some god forbid florida has a terrible year next year and they're looking for a new coach and the new coach comes in, the core, like the guys who are truly difference makers, if you've got an elite coach coming in, if he can keep those guys, then those guys are going to be part of the next solution. So getting them on campus is a big deal. Um, you know, once you get comfortable in a place, especially if you're a starter, if you like where you live, if you like, you know, there's nothing not to like about Gainesville. That place is awesome. So um, just getting guys there is important. And this idea that um, – you know, this idea that these guys aren't going to be able to lead the next charge for Florida, irrespective of what goes on next year, I think is 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 misguided. Now, could all of them transfer? Sure, but that doesn't tend to happen. With coaching changes, a lot of guys transfer, but not everybody does. And so fill this out with as much depth as you can, figure out who you got. And to be honest, I think the the big thing that I've been saying for months now is that Billy Napier, it's not just about 2024. It's is the 2025 class going to be like the 2024 class? Because the thing that did in Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, other than the fact that they went seven and five every year, is that not only were they going seven and five, but the recruiting classes had come back to where A&M had had recruiting classes under Kevin Sumlin. 
And those classes were good enough to every once in a while with a Johnny Manziel compete with big time SEC teams, but not on a week to week basis. And, you know, you go nine and two, 10 and two, but not good enough to win the conference. And that's sort of what A&M was staring at. And so you bring in Mike Elko and you say, hey, we'll we'll make a change and we'll see. And I think pairing the classes together is the critical part. So, look, all that to say, if LJ McRae tra- decides to flip, if if um, Amaris Williams decides to flip, those are those are bad signs. Like, I don't want that to happen. But I think it's more important that the overall ratings for Florida stay in this three, four, five range in 2025 and 2026 than it is that you get one extra player in the 2024 class. I don't think you ever want to gauge a class by one player. I think you want to look at the overall class in its entirety and say, hey, this is where we sit. So right now, Florida doesn't have enough players. They need to add guys, get to the 25 or 26 mark. If they're losing guys at national or at early signing day, well, that means they're going against what they need to do, irrespective of where those guys are ranked. And so uh, so that's what I think is critical is let's add five or six to this class, jump up into that number four spot, and then next year, 2025, you got to start put piecing that together. Three or four more five stars in 2025, and we're looking at a completely different roster with a completely different narrative, right? Like we talked earlier about Napier needing to win eight or nine games. It depends. If the 2025 class is just bumping, if he's got four or five stars in that 2025 class, by the time August comes around, no. You got DJ Lagway quarterback. You got all the talent in the world coming in. You have to see that through. And so there are, uh, you know, there are things that you can do to to extend that grace, extend that hope. That's what recruiting is, right? Recruiting's hope. And so to me, that's the thing to watch for: is how does that class pro- how does that class progress? How does it compare to this one? And then obviously, got to finish the job on this one. Well, you look at Georgia, Bama, Ohio State. The school stack the classes. We talk about that all the time. Stacking classes. So, yeah, it, it goes without saying that you need to follow up in twenty twenty five, but. Solid performance in 2024 to, to the point where you're at least playing defense down the stretch. Hopefully uh, the defense off the field is a little better than the defense on the field. And we can hold on to a few of these guys going down the stretch here. Will we'll talk about it next week on stand up and holler. Thanks for joining everybody for Will miles. I'm Nick Newton. Have a great weekend and go Gators. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to stand up and holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.